0: Our guest today, Father Jeffrey Couture, is the pastor of St. Matthew's Parish in Norwalk, Connecticut. He earned his Master of Divinity degree from Mount St. Mary's in Emmitsburg, Maryland, and was ordained a priest in 2010. Father Jeff was born an identical twin and raised in in what he terms a typical Catholic family. Still, his teenage years brought brought out his wild side, as his growing atheism and interest in drugs and heavy metal music grew to the point of subverting his life. When he turned 18, his father told him God was first in their house and that Jeff would have to change or leave. He went to Florida, and at age 19 in Fort Lauderdale, his drug use coupled with complications from selling a pint of his blood brought on a near-death experience that threatened hell, gained forgiveness from Jesus, and turned his life around. The result has made him what I would call an unusually qualified Catholic priest since he has seen the dark side, met both Jesus and Mary in person, and has experienced firsthand Jesus' forgiveness and love. Father Jeff, welcome to NDE Radio.
1: Thank you, uh, Lee, for having me. Thank you, Rev.
0: (laughs) I have been so looking forward to having you on the show to, to talk about your amazing NDE. And um, so, Father, if you would, please uh, describe what you encountered from uh, your near-death experience.
1: Well, when it happened, when I was in the clinic and I had complications with the blood I was giving, and um, I just remember waking up on the other side, and what I saw and felt instantly when I got to the other side, I knew I was dead. Um, And that's very important because some people feel, you know, well, are you sure? Do you know what you're going through? I knew instantly I was dead. And what I saw was what I describe as a black, a darkness that I was standing on, like black ground and black sky. There was a darkness to it. However, that was being, but it was illuminated in the distance on a hill. And what I knew instantly was heaven was in front of me. And also, also I knew instantly I could feel the presence of God. So um, I, and I say this because a lot of people will, will say, well, how do you know? And, you know, did you, did you get your bearings? It's from what I experienced when a soul crosses over, you know, you're crossing over. <laughs> Yes. Uh, You you know, and (laughs) that the the awareness of God was immediate to the point where I had to say to myself, because at that time I did not believe in God anymore. I believed that my religion was more something, a tool my parents used to keep me in line. And, you know, and so I remember thinking that when I got on the other side, instantly I felt, oh, my dad was right. <laughs> my parents were right. <laughs> God is real. And I just remember that instantly hit me. But what I saw was this sort of, I was in this darkness that I was being illuminated by the light in front of me. And a couple other truths that I was aware of, I was aware of for sure heaven. I was aware of the virtues. I was aware of love. I can feel love, compassion, all the stuff coming out of the heaven. And behind me, I was aware of darkness. Uh, behind me, it got darker and darker. And I say that I didn't really see it with my eyes. I saw it with my heart. I can feel there was despair and darkness behind me. And I knew that to be hell, what people describe as hell. Hmm. And so you, like then a- w- so you
0: were in between then?
1: I was in what commonly called purgatory, but it's hard because in some more hardcore Catholics, they go, that's not purgatory. And then some people who don't believe in purgatory, it's yes, I I was in a purgatory place. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I noticed around me where there were millions of souls around me, We, we were, I, I was, approaching heaven from the side from the east gate is what we do know now the east side and i can see mil- i'm aware of millions of us around everybody going to heaven it was a busy place and but i felt that we we're all in different states of being so it felt like um a place but more like a state and when i when i looked around i could see People, everybody was basically white, like um, like ghosts almost. Um, and there were, um, and then when I got closer, a little closer to heaven, I can see the gate, uh, the side gate, which drew my attention. And there were creatures going in and out of the gate. Some, most of them looked human. Most of them I they'd take to be angels, um, for sure.
0: Uh, Father, um, I believe you had mentioned that uh, you had has had a, a view of the globe from Oh, yes. From Earth. So,
1: yes. And at the same... Yes, thank you. Um, so, when I first got there and I was getting my surroundings, I looked down and I can see my body on the ground. But I also saw the globe. I saw the Earth in its entirety. Hmm. And it's hard to explain, but I, I saw... What I saw was the starting point of time and the end of time. I felt like if I could, it was like I could turn the globe and go to any time I wanted. Um, Did
0: did you have a sense of time where you were?
1: No, no.
0: And yet uh, there are people, all those millions in purgatory who are waiting, which always implies time, for for themselves to be forgiven or to forgive, whatever it is takes to, to well, leave. some
1: of them weren't waiting i got the impression that some of them were just going directly in like they were passing through oh, like the okay. area outside was also a passing through like so some people were like camped out there waiting some people were just going directly in
0: so it's also a whole like a waiting room or a holding room for uh entry to heaven as well as uh, a place to i guess repent Or ask for yeah.
1: That's what I'm saying. It's more. It's it's not just the place. It's like, um, you know, I guess like the entry to your church. You know, some people are sitting waiting. Some people are going directly in. I mean, some people for whatever reason they're waiting. Right? You know, the um, whatever reason. So that's how I felt. I felt it wasn't just me waiting there because I had because I wasn't ready to move on. Whatever my condition was, to some people were just. Like, it's going.
0: And I think you mentioned uh, when we first talked, I wrote down that uh, you had understood that Einstein was trying to quantify God when his time theory developed.
1: Yeah, a lot of people think that especially MC Square and all that was just another mechanism to find. He felt that there's a power that is not of the, there's a more of a supernatural aspect. You know, you go to light matter, dark matter and all that. But mm-hmm. is, he believed, Einstein uh, believed that once you get past the speed of light and you're in non-time, there's a whole existence. Now, granted, wow. that makes sense. He was Jewish. Um, sure. I don't know how active Jewish, but it, he, he felt in many of the interviews I read about Einstein, he believed that the divine could be quantified to a degree. So he would describe okay. my state as a non-time state. He felt that you can look inside of time, but you can't go back in time, but you can still go forward in time.
0: And yet from where your vantage point was, you could see both back and forward.
1: I saw at least like bookends almost, like I could it, but I didn't see the details of it. But I know I felt like I can quantify it. And the reason why that's so important, it was the first time in my life that I realized proof that there is an eternity and a non-eternity. Mm. Um, and it was just so factual that I was in non-time and I was looking at time. Trying to explain, uh, but it was so factual.
0: Yeah, that's so, it's <laughs> so neat. Um, and you had also said, I think, that there were levels to purgatory, that the deeper you went, the more. Um, oppressive it might have been, but and we talked a little about the possibility that ghosts on this planet were a part of purgatory as well.
1: Yeah, I felt that because um, it's hard. I mean, part of this is also from my experience as being a priest, and so what I see and I don't see, or what I hear, and yeah, um, I got the impression I got. Well, there was different levels. I did feel like things went down and the dark, closer you got to the absolute darkness you know there was a process you know um, i do i did feel that and i did have the sense that i feel because of my experience of being in purgatory and again saying the word almost limits what i saw it's hard to explain to you. you're you're and please understand to anybody listening it's hard i was when you're in the afterlife is not a three-dimensional space. It's much more than that. You're actually receiving information multidimensionally, sometimes instantly in your head. You you can sense things more. So many people that have gone, in my experience, will tell you that we're in a very limited dimensional space. So how do you, example, how do you describe five-dimensional space to a three-dimensional being? Yes. So. It, you, to just say you were in purgatory is limiting. I was in a state of purgatory. People were in a state of purgatory there, but it was much more where I was. It's also the outside of heaven where maybe, maybe angels could be conversing. You know what I mean? I mean, there's like a lot of things happening. It felt like many, many things were happening at the same time. But the we'll go back wait, to what you are saying about the, we were talking about the ghost. Yes. I mean, I, from my experience, the people with some of us waiting there, um, sometimes people are, um, on this earth can see those people and pray for them and move forward.
0: And I was going to ask this later, but I might as well, not right now, does intercessory prayer help people who are stuck in purgatory? That was a used to be a theory of the church.
1: Yeah, we still believe that. I mean, I just tell people, what I experience is basic human, just basic, just think of, sometimes we overthink things supernaturally. (laughs) Think of human life. Does intercessory action work here? Yes. Don't we intercede for one another every day? Yeah. So why wouldn't we do it in the next life?
0: Yes, exactly. Do you think it would be possible for someone in purgatory to, ultimately forgive someone that they weren't able to forgive during their lifetime.
1: Yes. Because now when you're in purgatory, again, the reason why I just want to, some of the viewers that may not be Catholic, the reason why I hold purgatory so much is not why it's so valuable, at least from my standpoint as a Catholic priest, it's because it's, it's another chance of mercy. And Jesus is always merciful and forgiving. So it's just another avenue of forgiveness. And so, of course, he would allow somebody at that time one more chance to forgive. And I do believe, I was just told by um, friends with an exorcist, um, a leading exorcist, um, very well-versed in the field, and told me that you can actually, people in purgatory can communicate with people on earth by getting them to forgive each other. And it helps them move on. It makes sense. It or sure like, does. for instance, I had an issue. I had somebody, um, my, my father, and the exorcist saw my dad on the edge of heaven, but my dad was having trouble moving forward because he couldn't forgive one person. So the the priest told me to go back to the person I know that my dad has trouble and that have that person pray for him. And so that's what we did. So the person that we believe my dad was struggling with, I went to that person and she prayed and told my dad, don't worry, I forgive you too. Please forgive me. And so that my point is, that's that interrelationship thing that we still have. You know, and then so
0: so healing, healing continues after. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Wow. That's that's beautiful. Well, you started to talk about the East Gate and the walled city and the and the angels, which you call creatures. Which uh, I well, because some of
1: the reason why I say that is I knew some of them I recognized as angels. Um, I'm still uh, some some of priests and 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 reverend friends of mine that are more into the supernatural. Some believe that. Like well, Rabbi, actually, I was talking to once said the East Gate was a special gate; not everybody can go in it. So it's it's believed that what you saw were maybe more angelic beings, saints could have been the coming in out of there too. But it was people that were more that worked for heaven probably came in and out of that gate. That's what I was witnessing. Mm. You know, it was a functional gate, back and forth, back and forth. You know, it didn't seem like the people coming in going in that gate were new visitors. It seemed like, you know, it was like a working gate. Because I did recognize angels. Some creatures I can't describe. I just don't remember what they look like, but I can remember thinking I didn't recognize what they were. They didn't seem human.
0: You suppose they could have been from some other place, some other planet?
1: Yeah, or there are there are there are angels are creatures in heaven that we don't know i mean for sure why why would we limit god to what we know i mean there could be yeah there could be
0: interesting now uh just to clarify was the walled city and the east gate a part of uh purgatory or had you moved out of purgatory at this point
1: no um purgatory goes right up to the gate
0: okay oh great but
1: by the time you get there it seems like it's your last walk, but you know you're going to heaven. Like and, and please understand what I experienced was the closer you get to heaven, the more holy you are, the more good you feel. And mm. so it's um it's um hard to explain, but the 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 glory of God is more is more magnificent and you're more aware of it the closer you are to heaven.
0: Mm. So we pray f- or on earth as it is in heaven for a reason,
1: right? And for me, I experienced even though I wanted to go forward, I was I had I was stopped, and I felt like almost like an invisible chains, and mm-hmm. I could feel that I felt that that was my sin preventing me from moving forward.
0: And then one of the angels coming out of that gate was your guardian angel, right?
1: Yeah. So at that time, I, I as soon as I felt stopped, and I could feel that I can't move forward in my heart. And please understand anybody listening, you know, people, some people may say, well, purgatory is about fire. Well, what I experienced was the fire of desire is what I experienced when I was there. I, I so wanted to be with God. I can feel my heart was burning for God because I can feel love coming out of heaven. When I stopped the fact that I couldn't go forward was so, I suffered. Because I couldn't quench my desire, hmm. so I, I I experienced the fire of desire. If that if that could be understood, and yes. so as as I was aware of that, the moment I was aware of that, then one of the one of the creatures came out of the gate. My angel, and it was weird because he caught my eye because he was like super speed. Like I knew when he was coming out, and I it moved, soon as he was coming out, I could feel he was familiar. And it's hard to explain. He, you, when you meet your guardian angel, those who are listening who have met her, you just know. You just know. And so he caught my attention. The next thing I know, he's standing in front of me, and he was about eight feet tall in full armor. He was in samurai armor. And I can see every inch of his armor. He had two swords crossing each other. Um he was also so bright i could barely look at him he had magnificent light you know coming off of him and when i looked at him and i and he had a sort of a mask over his face but you can see his skin under his eyes and they were tra- it was translucent you could see through him a little bit and and then his eyes were black but he was a People who talk about angels and they think of these cute and cuddly little mild manner creatures, and that may be true. I did not experience that. I experienced a, a powerful warrior that was very intimidating, but I didn't feel like he was going to hurt me at all. But it's just an awesome, frightening power coming out of him. It's a very magnificent creature. I mean, you know, is what I felt. And then when I looked at his eyes, I made eye contact with him, and his eyes were black, no, no pupils. But when I looked in his eyes, I, I felt the abyss of God, wisdom. And then all of a sudden, it was like I was drawn into his eyes, and then I was actually back on earth with him. And so um, my angel at that time took me back through my life. I relived everything, every choice I made. At least in my case, every choice I made that I didn't confess and didn't ask forgiveness for, and every choice that I knowingly made a choice. If it was a sin I committed and I didn't have a choice, that wasn't. I didn't experience any of that. I experienced the choices um, that I, you know, that I was aware of. However, there were a few of them that I remember thinking to myself when I sinned. Oh well. I don't really know that it's a sin, but it was me convincing myself. So I knew those. No, no, I you know. That was still a sin because in your heart you knew. So I, I I was able the angel was able to show me those things. And every time the angel would show me a sin, I felt the effect of the sin on my soul, but also on the people that I offended, that I affected. Because every time we sin, we're really affecting. Three beings, the person, a person, even if it's a sin in private, anytime we sin, we're affecting everybody around us, right? I mean, because we're communal beings, we're affecting the earth, everything, you know. Myself, the person I offended, but also God. We also offend God. We offend Jesus. Yes. So I can... didn't feel that I didn't feel the effect on Jesus yet because I didn't have the awareness of Jesus quite yet. It didn't. You know, it's a process my angel was putting me through. But um, as I went to each scene in my life, I was experiencing these sins, and I do explain. I know I explained this to you, and one one I explained on my YouTube um, is that one sin was my dad had money on his dresser, and when my dad was out, I stole it. Um, I felt what the effect of that sin was on my soul. I could feel that it damaged my soul when I did it. But I also felt the angel allowed me to feel how offended my dad was because he realized I did it. So I felt the hurt of him as well. And so um, I felt that in every sin he took me down. And then um, at the end of that journey, I was standing over the world, my angel. But I need to preface, I need to say this, because people ask me how long were you down back on Earth, it felt like 19 other years. It felt like an entire lifetime that I was with him, but it went in an instant. Hard to explain, but people that have gone through similar experiences explain it in the same way. Time very moves very differently. Yes, um, and it's almost like the angel had me suspended in that time, and so then then I was standing over the world with my angel, and then my angel told me. And please know, we were communicating to te- telepathy, like even more than telepathy. Sometimes I think I could feel what the angel felt, but he felt me. Because you, your guardian angel is the closest pers- being to you. They're with you all the time. Yes. So you can feel that connection. Um, it's like a shared, like almost like soulmates in a sense. You can feel it because, you know... Um, And I felt that. So the angel told me that I was going to hell. And I didn't experience hell as a punishment. When he told me I was going to hell, I welcomed it because I knew I chose it. I didn't feel that hell was a punishment result that God said, now you're going to hell. I felt that it was simply a result of what I chose. So it felt completely justified that the angel was showing me this is what you did. And as a result of that, you're going to hell. And so I accepted it, that this would be what I deserved. But the moment that I accepted it, because it was just, I was aware of the presence of Jesus. I became aware of the presence of Jesus. At the moment I became in the presence of Jesus, aware of his presence, I realized that he suffered and died for me. I just realized how real he was. And at that moment, I felt sorry for what I did, not because of the hell was threatened. That's not it. I felt because of him personally, I felt sorry that I didn't accept him, you know, that I denied him. And that he loved me and he made these sacrifices for me. At that moment, when I... When I recognized that and I felt sorry for what I did, next thing I know, Jesus appeared. And Jesus appeared behind me. And as I tell people, the big Jesus, I felt his presence was like 100 feet tall. Like he was amazingly large presence. And I remember I was giving this talk in front of a high school class. And the kid goes, well, how do you even know it was him? You didn't even see him when you first, when he was behind you, I said, when God is around you, you know. <laughs> when he appeared, it felt like every molecule in my soul, the bad and the good trying to separate. I mean, this is our creation, okay? This is not a mere human. So when he is in your pre, when you're in his presence, you know. It was just a, such an awesome, frightening experience in the sense that when he appeared, he want, I could feel he wanted me to look at him, but I wouldn't look at him because I felt like if I did, I would die. I felt like his very gaze would kill me because I was in a state of sin. And I, I could feel in my soul when Jesus appeared, I can feel the bad in my soul trying to leave the good. It felt like my soul was being ripped apart, but not in a very gruesome way. It's hard, really hard to explain. It's almost like my soul was filled with these little needles of these wounds, and they were trying to leave. They were trying to escape this glorified presence that was around me, which is Jesus. Um, it felt very, how do I put it, non non voluntary. Like, like Jesus is so good objectively that he doesn't even have he doesn't have to consciously will bad to be gone. Does that make sense? It's, that's how I felt.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think you you told me uh, at one point that uh, grace can tear us apart. Which I yeah, So the way I compare is, the,
1: the way I compare it to is, think of our souls like a paper towel, a dry paper towel, and our soul in a pure state. Think of an egg as grace. Now put the egg on the paper towel dry, it's fine, it can withstand it, it can hold the egg, so our soul in a pure state can handle God's grace. Hmm. Wet Wet the towel, so the wet being the sign of sin, then all of a sudden the egg rips through the paper towel. So I felt like because my soul, the sin weakened my capacity for grace, that any grace God gave me would tear my soul apart. That's how I felt. Um, and I felt that that an amazing image. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and so, however, Jesus was going to get his way anyway. So next (laughs) thing I know, I'm Jesus forced me to look at him. Now, I'm facing him three to four feet away. I'm now with Jesus, and I'm staring at the Son of Man right in front of me, and. Um, people always ask me, what did he look like? Well, what color was his skin? What was it? um, If you look at an image in the Catholic faith called the Divine Mercy, Jesus did have long hair. Um, He did have a beard. And however, I didn't see um, the color of his hair and skin. I believe his hair was brown, but everything was... um, covered by this fire. Jesus was emanating a white, clear fire. Um, And his skin was actually light. Light was coming out of his pores. I can see it. Light was just emanating out of him. Uh, Like it was coming from his inside out. So I didn't see a color skin, even though he had more sort of Anglo-Mediterranean features, like in the picture. His skin color was the light coming out of him, and it was fire. He was on fire. His hair and everything was on this clear, um, white kind of fire, and his eyes were like oceans of fire. I mean, I remember looking at his eyes, and it's like it's like if you had blue eyes and it was swirling. It's hard to explain. It was just magnificent. I mean, magnificent, and my words cannot describe how. Magnificent and terrifying, in a way, because <laughs> you—this is your creator in front of you. You—he has this power that came out of him was so amazing and intense. And so when I when I when I was looking at him and I, I could see him, and he told me and he said, "Don't worry, I love you, and I forgive you. Do unto others as I've done unto you." And then a fire comes out of his mouth like a sword in the scriptures. And then the fire sword jumps out of his mouth, goes into mine. And at that moment, I felt my whole soul cleansed of all the sin. And I felt physical. I felt love, not just emotionally, physically. I felt like love was penetrating every inch of my soul, every tip, every molecule My my spirit was purified and loved. I was in pure ecstasy, hard to explain. And then next thing I know, I was back to where my angel was outside of heaven, and they pushed me back in my body. And then I woke up. And then uh, coming home from the clinic, the nurses almost acted like nothing happened. But once I was able to get released, I remember going home in the car. A friend of mine was driving me. And I remember looking outside the window and looking at everything was like paper mache to me. It, it was so fake. What we worried about, I was like, what I just experienced. I, I, I mean, it just it made the earth feel small. And I didn't even go inside heaven. I only saw the outside and felt. But I had personal contact with Jesus. So I mean, um,
0: did Jesus say anything else to you besides the forgiveness?
1: No, but. I felt like in his gift of the spirit that he gave me, I feel like there's probably more. I do always feel that like there's more truth to what he said to me. And I just don't know it yet, you know. Because, um, but I also felt it was not just words. I didn't need words. Like words are limit. Like a word almost limits Jesus. It's hard to explain. I felt it's in his very being of him being in front of me where I felt the truth hard to explain. I know, but I've been giving this talk for years and I still can't, I tell people, <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm being, I'm doing it a disservice because I can't justify what I, I can't humanly describe what I saw in divine. Yeah. You know?
0: So there you are now in Fort Lauderdale with your heavy metal friends and your druggy companions did you tell them about your experience and did you Uh, feel that you had to leave them right away?
1: Yeah. One of the girls I was dating at the time, I tried to explain it and they were like, what? And I said, we just got to stop. I mean, I I cut everybody off right away. It was instantly. I knew my friends were killing me Mm. and they were, they were creating this evil life. It's not, not personally trying to do it, but they were doing it unaware. Um, But then, yeah, I immediately told everybody goodbye. I'm leaving. And within, within a month, I, took a, I cut my hair off and took a Greyhound bus to Colorado where I moved in with an aunt and uncle that was very religious. And I started reading scripture, started meeting with a priest, started, you know, and I, I instantly turned my life around back to God. I mean, I just saw God, so there was no, I mean, you know, I mean, just like, and I went to confession and the priest was like almost not stunned, but I realized he wasn't stunned. But I realized now it probably was shocked you couldn't say.
0: Anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell me, what what did your identical twin say about your NDE?
1: Well, I have two twins. I am an identical and a fraternal, so I'm a triplet. Oh, I didn't. Oh, wow. Yeah, the other one wasn't there. The identical was with me. And the identical, the moment I walked through the door, and um, because the experience only happened a few hours of being in the clinic and being released, uh, so he didn't. He wasn't too worried. But when I walked in the moment I walked in. He goes, "Okay, you got to tell me what just happened to you. I can tell." He knew. Ah. He knew right away that I was changed. I mean, he said he knew it. I mean, he just knew it. He said my face was said it. I was in so shock. Now, because remember, I was in a state of shock when I came home because. I used to think it was shock because of what I went through. It was really because what I went through physically, it wasn't. I think it's shock of what I went through spiritually because you just ripped me out of God's presence. (laughs) Think about it. I just had ecstasy with Christ, and now I'm ripped out of it and back on earth. Um, The best way to describe it is uh, Don Piper, the reverend, his book, 90 Minutes in Heaven, he describes it just being ripped away that just lack of what experiencing it and not experiencing it is torture.
0: Do you feel like you have a relationship with your guardian angel? Because it seems so almost cold the way he told you you're going to hell.
1: No, I didn't feel it cold though. It wasn't cold. Maybe I didn't describe it correctly. I do feel it came to me telepathically, but it almost felt like he was sad. I did feel like a heaviness when he told me, like I did feel like he was sad. Angels no, don't was, waste words; they don't waste words. Anybody that has experience with an angel can I I can tell you that they don't waste any words. There's no fillers. They just they have a mission. This is what they're allowed to tell you.
0: They like to open with "Fear not," <laughs> according to the Bible. When he took you back to your body, was there any time transition between? Where you were and back in your body. Some people describe a tunnel going through a tunnel.
1: No, no, it was like I was back in the darkness outside, but it's like I fell back into my body. Did you almost see fell down like a fall? That's,
0: yeah, I was going to say, did you see Earth? Did it, Did you fall? Yeah, toward Earth? I do
1: remember. I do remember Earth was like behind me again, down mm-hmm. below, and I think I just got pushed, like pushed over. And fell into it.
0: Wow. Well, tell us now about the visit you had from Mary.
1: When I was in my early twenties, and you know, I was first, you know, going through seminary, uh, mid twenties, mid to late twenties. First, uh, going minor seminary, going to school. I was actually praying the Rosary, and I remember praying it very, just very successfully. I felt like it was the best prayer I ever did. And I just remember just questioning and, you know, asking, you know, Mary, if she's watching over me and, and you know, and all that in my life and my vocation going forward. And then in the middle of the night, I was staying at my dad's house. He wasn't there. I woke up in the middle of the night with overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly smell of roses. But I remember when I was coming to, I said, "There's no roses in here. I know my dad doesn't have roses. And then, as I look at the foot of my bed, I noticed Mary at the foot of the bed, but she was like a ghostly figure, not not scary at all. Um, and she had her her hand on my foot and she said, "I'm watching over you, my son. i'm I'm watching you." So she validated that and wow. and ever since then I knew, that she was watching over me
0: again, you know,
1: my words to viewers that are not Catholic. If you question whether or not the people in heaven could intercede for us, go back to what I originally said. If we can intercede and help one another here, why couldn't we do it when we go to the other side, but also think of this way, think of Probably the best scene is the transfiguration when Jesus is standing there and Elijah and Moses is next to him, encouraging him and helping him. That's intercessory. That's that's exactly what we're talking about, is the people in the afterlife want us to join them. So they're going to do everything they can that God allows for us to get there. Mary's no different because she promised Jesus at the cross that she would take care of us. So for me, Mary is not this other deity at all. No, we don't believe in that. She's not this creature that is meant to be worshipped. That's We don't believe any of that. What we believe is in veneration. And what is veneration? Don't we venerate our parents every day when we say we love them? Or when we say to our best friend, you know, we, we venerate people every day. So think of it that way. That's how I experienced.
0: Well, people ask all sorts of deceased people, saints and relatives, as well as Mary to intercede for them or to pray for them after they're gone. She intercedes. Everyone assumes that she has some particular clout with her son, although he's all forgiving himself. It seems like you're quite taken with the places where she has appeared to crowds such as Fatima, Magigoria, Lourdes. And I think you told me you're, you're planning a trip to Magigoria.
1: Yeah. And I wasn't always a big fan of Magigoria because the church didn't approve of it until recently, formally. Mm -hmm. So I'm very careful of not going to places that are not approved yet, because if they are real, not approved, it could be dangerous, but also, so it, Medjugorje took me a while to embrace. Hmm. The Pope just recently came out three years ago, about three years ago, and said it was okay.
0: Millions of people have already gone, and they all pretty much thought it was okay, whether they saw anything supernatural or not. It's just, a, I guess, a place can be sanctified simply by the hopes and wishes and, and love of the people that visit there.
1: Yeah, the only reason why the church is very careful is the Satan could trick you, though. He does appear to people as Mary or other things, because he is try he does try to trick you. So that's why the church is, you know, very, very careful on when they also they want to make sure that everybody actually is seeing something because sometimes people have visions and they're actually mentally ill. Mm. And so it's not, it's trying to also vet that it's spiritual. And the church the church takes a long time to approve of something. It's just the way it does. It just does. Yes.
0: <laughs> yes, I think Pope Francis has been criticized for being faster than most popes in, in making <laughs> decisions. But everyone else says, oh, thank you, <laughs> Jesus, for his uh, understanding and his compassion. You and I talked a little about different levels of exorcism as the church still performs. Talk a little about the reality of demons in human life.
1: Well... Demons are fallen angels, so they're real. If we, you know, it's the church. I mean, not the church. The Bible teaches us. I forget the church does too, but you know, it teaches us through demons, and they're real. I mean, just look at all the cases of Jesus, all the things him dealing with demons, casting them out, and all that. And so we see that, and so they are real. I, though, from my experience as a Catholic priest, they only get power by by us giving them power. They just like an angel, our regular angel can't do anything without our permission. Our will is what does it. So, you know, we, we, um, Padre Pio, who I have a big devotion to, um, in one of his books, he talks about angels, uh, what he saw, and he would see, he had the power to see angels at all times. And he would see people's guarding angels, when people would be not aware of the guarding angel he would see the angel almost tied up. It can't do anything because it needs permission. It needs permission of faith from the person. And so he would acknowledge that. So I always tell everybody, first thing you do is tell your angel they have permission to do whatever they want for you. (laughs) But the same thing on the flip side with the demons, they're fallen angels. They need permission. So we give them permission by our sins or what we do. We give them permission. But we have power over them as well. We have power over them.
0: In the portrayals of exorcism, which I'm sure are exaggerated in the movies, they always make it seem like a life and death struggle on the part of the priest in order to uh, get the demon out of someone. Is it as bad as they picture it?
1: Some can and some cannot. I think the majority is no. I mean, I'm not an exorcist. I'm only friends with them. Yes, <laughs> to use them, but. I've never been in a major exorcism. They don't allow you to do that. They're very careful. It doesn't happen that often. But I've done minor stuff for sure. Most of the time, I don't think it is. It can happen like the movies, but it is sensationalized. I've heard demons cackle out of people. That's the most common, like a cackle laughter. And people may be like, well, how do you know the difference? When you hear it, you know. (laughs) You know. Um, usually, usually it's mocking you, so that that's a little chilling. I got to be honest with you; I've heard that, and um, it's a little chilling when you hear it. But there's no; they're trying to make you afraid because the only power that Satan has is the will you give him, but also fear. It's the only power that he has. The demons try to scare you and try to kind of get you off your kilter because if every Christian realizes the power of God in them with the Holy Spirit if they came to that realization and maturity demons will run from you they they run from you
0: i want to ask a couple of questions you'd be particularly qualified to answer you said the sins that and i heard this actually from from another catholic the sins that you confessed were not part of your life review now would a non-catholic who confessed his sins to god and asked for forgiveness have that same Thing, or does it have to be a, a Catholic ordained priest forgiving your sins?
1: For sacramental confession, for the sacramental grace of confession, it has to be a Catholic priest. But there are other graces of confession that are not sacramental. The minimum one is you simply apologize to somebody and saying, I'm sorry for what I did. And they say, I forgive you. Just that alone is supernatural. I mean, that alone, right mm-hmm. there. I mean, mm-hmm. Every time we forgive somebody, it's a grace. We just exchange grace right there. When I say, I forgive you, I just you just received my grace, the grace from God through me by me forgiving you. The confession is more sacramental grace. Right? And
0: if someone didn't have the courage to go and apologize for something they'd done that hurt someone, but instead went to a priest and confessed it as a sin, Would it still be considered a sin because they hadn't reconciled with the injured party?
1: No, you don't always need to reconcile. You can try, but sometimes you can't reconcile for whatever reason. Um, But I always, at least I always tell people to reconcile. I mean, I haven't had anybody, only rarely do I hear someone say, well, I can't reconcile with them. I don't know where they are or they they won't listen. I said, well, then God will reconcile us. I so said that's yeah. all you, you know, and pray for him. I mean, at least you could do. You you have to try. Because remember, Jesus would and say, "Now go see the priest and go make your offering." I mean, that's reconciliation.
0: We talked about how churches generally don't use NDEs as a part of their understanding of theology, and you told me you don't use NDEs in your homilies, but you do in private counseling. I think that's probably true of of most priests that I've talked to, at any rate, who who have acknowledged the reality of NDEs, they're still reluctant to um, spring it on the congregation. But do you think you might, in conjunction with some certain appropriate lectionary readings, bring it up sometime? As a
1: I do occasionally. Like if I'm doing a conference, a spiritual conference, and we talk about death, dying, or something, I may reference it. You know, mm. I will reference it. Um, I do, it really is up to the Holy Spirit. I can feel when the Holy Spirit wants me to do it or not. In the homilies, I just don't, except for one funeral homily, I do remember that I brought it up. But I just, I wait for the day the Holy Spirit allows me to talk about more, more often. I just, when I preach, I go by what the Holy Spirit tells me. It just never told me to preach on that at that time.
0: I used it once in a graveside funeral service, talked about, my own NDE, and afterwards, it wasn't a family member, it was the, actually the mortuary director who came up and thanked me for it. He'd, he'd lost someone fairly recently in his own family, and, and he, was, he found it very touching that it was such an affirmation of an afterlife. Father, so many uh, kids these days are damaged by drugs and desperation in their teenage years like you were, and I wonder if you could describe what triggered where things went wrong for you and how they might, how other people might avoid making the same mistakes?
1: For me, it was my parents' divorce when I was 14. It was the divorce of my parents that was the catalyst. Hmm. I mean, that's for sure. My mother left the house when we were 13, 14. So we became restrained. And that had a big effect on me. And so that's what really started the road. And I was seeking validation or other things. I mean, I would tell kids, parents are listening, and they may have a child, tween or a teen or a preteen. I will tell you that by the time they're 12, the friends that they have will determine what they do. 90% of it is your friends. I started hanging around friends that did drugs. It's just the way it was. And also the drugs were to kill the pain of what I, you know, of my loss and what I was going through.
0: So a lot of it's not initiated by the teen so much as it is initiated by a couple that just decide to get divorced and they should really take the blow it's going to lay on their kids into consideration before they do anything like that.
1: I mean, the problem is, in the end, my parents' divorce worked out well. I gained a whole set of family. We came at peace with it. My stepfather was at my dad's death, deathbed. I mean, so it, it, I mean, things worked out in the end, but yeah, divorce in itself is never, there's always a downside. It's there's never said something, such thing as we had the perfect divorce. No, you're taking two people who got married out of love and now they are separating. It always has a negative effect on the child. You just hope, you just try to minimize it, though. You know what I mean? Uh, My parents, though, um, prayed, prayed through the divorce. I mean, you know, they prayed through it. They they knew, you know, there was a lot of things with my parents. But, I mean, my parents' divorce also was because my grandmother moved in and she, God bless her. But your parents, I always tell newly couples, a controlling parent. Could ruin your relationship, and that's what happened in our our case. Wow! So it created a wound in my life that I was trying to fill.
0: But I guess all those wounds ultimately get reconciled in heaven, if not yeah. before.
1: You know, it's, Lee. If I can say this to your listeners, one thing I've noticed is when I came back to Earth from my experience. Even though I felt sanctified by God, I felt like I was no longer a state of world sin. And I felt sort of rebirthed, so to speak. I felt grace builds on nature. I still had to change the nature of things around me. God wasn't going to do it. I had to do it. Mm. God healed my soul. But now he's like, listen, now you got to heal your life. And so I had to get rid of the people who drew me away from God and put people in my life that That got me to God. Now, it wasn't perfect. I made mistakes after that. Don't get me wrong. I still sinned. I still made mistakes. But, you know, I was headed in the right direction. So, grace builds on nature, I tell people. It's not enough to have a spiritual experience and God touch your soul. You also have to do the work. I mean, you have to, you know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. Well, Father, thanks so much for sharing the the story of your NDE with us and how it changed the direction of your life. And thank you for all the theological discussion that we added to your NDE. Uh, It's it's really fascinating. If listeners have questions or would like to get in touch with you, would you like to share a a website or a way they could?
1: Uh, You could email me at frcouture at diobpt.org. You can actually go to, St. Matthew Catholic Church in Norwalk, Connecticut, our website, and then my contact is there.
0: Oh, great. Great. If they would like to leave comments for you, they can also leave comments where the show appears on our YouTube channel at NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, YouTube. So once again, thank you, Father, and God bless you you. and and your work. Thank you, Lee. And if listeners would like to hear this show again or any of our more than 450 archived ad-free NDE interviews. Go to Talk Zone's NDE Radio site and hit the past Shows button or go to our YouTube channel, NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, where you can subscribe to and comment on the complete NDE Radio library. And be sure to check out our NDE Radio Facebook page. Just search NDE Radio with Lee Whitting on your Facebook app. And listen again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern at Talk Zone. For more NDE Radio, I'm your host, Lee Whitting, saying thanks for listening.